as a church, in the moment, we've been going through a series called Drenched, Saturated, Baptised In. It's all the same sort of word. And we're looking at the fact that, uh, that we believe as Christians in a God who is one person and yet three persons, somewhat breathtakingly. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as a church, we've been looking at the extraordinary biblical benefits that we see of being a people who aren't just dipped, who aren't just slightly, you know, touched by the Spirit, but we are drenched. You know, we are, you know, you know the Dulex dog, you know, that, I always think of a Dulex dog running into the ocean and just lolling around in the water and then coming out and then just shaking his big furry hair everywhere and the water flying everywhere and, and getting everyone wet all around. That's the sort of image, kind of, that we want to be as a church, that we're not just sort of polite. We, 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 we welcome the Spirit. No, no, we are drenched. We are saturated and we are undignified in our glorying in the person of the Holy Spirit. And one of the breathtaking things about the Bible is the great mysteries that we see in the Bible. And one of the mysteries I think that we're going to look at today is the extraordinary uh, mystery, really, of a people that we see in the Bible who, despite great pressure and tribulation and difficulties in life, experience wonderful joy. Who here would like more joy in their life? Yes, and that desire you have is not actually a wrong desire. So when we look through, for example, just a cursory look at the New Testament, you see all across it, when you see the Holy Spirit, so often you see joy. You see, for example, 1 Peter 1.8, Peter addressing Christians he hasn't even met. He talks about joy and unspeakable joy. I love this, not just a nice little bit of joy, unspeakable joy. I don't think I've ever experienced joy unspeakable. We see in Acts 8, when, the, uh, when Philip preaches the gospel in a place called Samaria, there's this wonderful phrase that says there was much joy in, this, in that city. When the Spirit comes, there is joy. In Acts 13, when Paul and Barnabas hit a place called Pisidian Antioch, they preach the gospel, the Spirit comes, it says that the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. In Romans 14, it says the kingdom of God, it does does not consist of food and drink, but it is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit being love, Joy, thank you, Martin. Love, joy, peace, patience. And I love Galatians 4. It's one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible because Paul, talking to this church, which has lost his joy, it says, what has happened to all your joy? It's like he's confused. He's like, well, if you're Christians, you're meant to be joyful. And it's this extraordinary kind of challenge to us because let's be honest, if we were to take a microphone and go into the streets of Canterbury and just, just to go to a normal random selection of people and go, okay, I'm going I'm to say a word uh, to you now. And I want the first word that comes into your mind to, for you to speak, oh, person who's just normal. Christian, I don't know. I might be wrong. I'm just not totally sure the first word everyone would say would be joyful. I, maybe they would, but I, I think they might say judgmental or self-righteous or religious and do-gooders or something like that. I might be wrong, of course. They may all say joy, of course. They're the most joyful people in the world. But actually, biblically... This is what you see. It's breathtaking. But the other side of of what appears to be uh, the coin, as it were, in John 16, uh, did I ask you to turn to John 16? Yeah. Some of the words that Jesus said about the coming of the Spirit appear to be contradictory. We see this in John 16, verse 8. This is Jesus speaking about when the Holy Spirit will come. 
He says, and when he comes, listen to this, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, maybe it's just me, but the idea of being convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment, it kind of sounds a bit scary. Anyone here think it kind of sounds a bit scary? It it does, I think. Wait a minute. We see this extraordinary connection between the coming of the Spirit and joy, But then what Jesus said about the coming of the Spirit was that actually he will come and convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Is there a problem? Have our Bibles got it wrong? I hear you cry in your hearts very quietly, in a British way. (laughs) Well, guess what? I don't think there's a problem. But I want to show today with all of my heart that actually the true path to, and I want to say to robust joy. I'm not talking about joy when everything's going right. Okay, because that's what everyone has. Yeah, I'm going on holiday. Woohoo, I'm joyful. Or I've got a new car. I'm joyful. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about joy when everything is going wrong in a worldly sense. And what I want to show today from Scripture is that I believe that this extraordinary joy as a people of the Spirit is actually intimately connected with a threefold conviction. This threefold conviction that Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he will bring a conviction of sin. So that's kind of us as humans seeing ourselves accurately, that we're not that impressive. Tom Shaw's not impressive. Secondly, a conviction of God's righteousness, i.e. God is perfect and immaculate and beautiful and different to humans. But then thirdly, a conviction that one day, that there will be a day of judgment which for some will be awful and for others will be glorious. And this is the thing. I believe that actually it is a threefold conviction by the Spirit that leads to robust joy. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. It's to the right, okay? 1 Thessalonians. This is an extraordinary church that we're about to read about, okay? Fasten your seatbelts, guys. This is breathtaking stuff. The first chapter of Thessalonians, Paul writes to them, and they are a church with great affliction, great pressure, but amazing joy. So here we go, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, look at those words, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but listen, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full glorious conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word, look at this, this is our key thing to remember, in much affliction. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss that. Affliction and yet joy in the Holy Spirit. So that you become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. It's gone global. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you when we turned up and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true, sorry, the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, 
Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, I pray now, help me. Lord, come Holy Spirit, in this brief time we have, come and bring joy, Lord. Lord, let the joy of heaven break forth. Let it be a joy that, Lord, that defies logic. Let it be a joy for all those right now who have small pressures. Let there be great joy. Let it be joy for those who have great pressures. Lord, I, we want everything that you have for us. We don't want to be Christians in word only. We want to be Christians who have lives that are breathtaking. Nothing to do with us, everything to do with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see here then um, a threefold conviction that the Spirit brings that leads to joy. I will explain it as we go on. But we have to understand this breathtaking verse that right at the centre of it. I just want us to draw, t- draw attention to it. Verse 6, part B. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now the word here, affliction or tribulation, it is in the Greek, it means, it's, the word literally is called flipsis. Flipsis. And it's the word that was applied when you crushed a grape. It was under great flipsis. It was crushed. So the word here is the idea of pressure. It's the idea of being under enormous pressure. And I love the words he says, for you became imitators of us. So Paul's saying, normal Christian experience is that you receive the word of God and immediately you go into a new realm of pressure. That actually the Christian life is not a promise of just freedom from all difficulties and you'll never be ill again and you'll have bags of money and your life will all just be sweetness and roses. That wasn't Jesus' experience. It certainly wasn't the Apostle Paul's experience or the early church's experience. But there is the promise of joy amidst affliction. So what is the secret? What is the, how on earth does this occur? Because surely in a pressurised world like we live in here in the 21st century where it's all go, 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 surely discovering how on earth we can have true joy amidst pressure has got to be in the top 10 of the desired things that any human would want, I think. So how? Well, I want to show us this threefold conviction of, by the Spirit that leads to great joy amidst pressure. So first of all then, spirit conviction... Number one, that sin slash the word we see here, idols, which I'll unpack in a moment. Sin or idols are joy drainers. Say joy drainers. It's a tongue twister. They drain of joy. So how do we become joyful when everything's against us and pressured? The first thing is to understand what the Thessalonians understood was that sin and idols which we'll unpack in a moment, are joy drainers. You see, the flavour that Paul gives us of this, the way that this church got started is breathtaking. It says here, it says here in verse 5, it says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, so it did come in word, i.e. there was a message to be understood that being a Christian is not just being part of the church, okay? It's not just coming along and being part of the community. You're very welcome, but it's actually about understanding in your hearts and your minds a truth. There is a word aspect. It is vital you understand the truth of the gospel. It is in word, but it's not only in word. Now this is huge for us British people, I think, because he says not only in word, but also in power. Just say the word power. It's a great word. Thank you. Power. There was a power dynamic when Paul proclaimed the message 
to this area, to this city, Thessalonica, there was a power dynamic that was amazing. That meant even though his message came with words that made understood, that people understood, that made sense, there was also an extraordinary power that was undeniable. And this is actually what church should be about. It shouldn't be about a polite religion thing. It should be that when the gospel is proclaimed on Sundays or individually, that there is an expectation of power. I love a story Terry Virgo tells, who's a a guy who leads the movement of churches we're part of. He spent some time in a place uh, called uh, Hong Kong with a lady called Jackie Pullinger, who's done some extraordinary work with uh, drug addicts, and particularly those who are in kind of gangland uh, sort of world, and those who are part of the kind of Hong Kong triads and that kind of stuff. And, and, and Terry says himself, he says, there's few people on earth he's heard proclaim the gospel as well as Jackie. She just lives it. And he was sitting there watching her, asking questions to these, to be honest with you, their brains were frazzled, drug dealers and drug users. And he was watching her explain it to them and asking them questions, which were kind of getting them to lead them to the point of understanding the gospel. And then there came a moment where she said to Terry, okay, Terry, now pray for the coming of the power of God. And Terry said, well, wait a minute, Jack, uh, Jackie. They're not Christians yet. They haven't understood the gospel. They haven't got the word part. And she looked at Terry and said, with all respect, Terry Virgo, he said, if I went through an ABC of what it is to be a Christian, by the time you said A and got to C, they would have forgotten what A was. Their brains are so frazzled because of the years of abuse. The way that, they had, that scores of people had got saved and dramatically changed through the proclamation of the gospel involved the word, but there was a power dynamic. There was something that just happened that was unexplainable. And this woman just faithfully expected it. It was a faith issue. She knew it would happen. Pray, pray, pray. And so he prayed and the power of God fell. What do I mean by that? It's hard to even explain, but something that everyone could just tell was invisible. But you could just tell the power of God was there so that actually they understood that God was real. Yes, through the word, but through power. It was amazing. She pointed to a guy who was kind of involved in the ministry. She said, see that guy over there in the big suit? She said, yeah. She said, he's one of the chief advisors to the Hong Kong government. He used to be, a few years ago, just a bag of bones, a drug addict, almost dead. And yet he heard the gospel in word and in power and his life was transformed. And now he's someone dressed in a suit advising the Hong Kong government. That is what happens when the word of God doesn't just come in a nice, polite English way. Here we go. But boom, there's the power of God. I love it. Anyone fancy a bit of that in their lives? Yes. Oh, yes. And you know, we're starting to see a little bit of it. A little bit of it. I think of the last few months, we can almost miss it. We think about the fact that a few months ago, a long-standing member in the church called Tash Nameby, who had something called, are you ready for this? A bi, oh, blimey, a, a bicuspid aortic valve. That was it. Very serious problem with her heart, which means she could have died. And for, for years, the uh, x-rays had been happening six, every six months. The doctors had been looking at her heart. They were confused. It was awful. And anyway, she was prayed here on a Sunday morning by Mike Betts. The power of God fell. And they went, she went for a regular checkup. Guess what? It's completely gone. They were, whoa, that's, that's fantastic. Come on, that is amazing. And she's got the medical report, which says, you know, left aorta, normal. Or whatever. It says normal, 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 basically. It's amazing. And for years, they've been thinking, how do we solve this? 
It's amazing. I think about Lynn Gregory, many of you know, who, who leads our death work. And she, for years, had a ter- really bad back pain. And then a year or so ago, in a cell group, they prayed for her, and one of her legs dramatically, significantly grew several inches. In an instant, her leg grew. Now, you might think I'm mad, and I don't blame you. But it happened, okay? It happened. She's a normal lady. It happened. And guess what? Her shoe that was built up, she threw away. She went to the doctor. I don't need it anymore because my, I'm now straight. And her back was sorted. It's amazing. This has been happening here in City. We think about Mike Wooldridge. See, you don't hear these stories often because the church is bigger and bigger. Mike, who came last year, one of his eyes is severely He's uh, not quite totally blind, but really, really blindish, you know, really bad. And, someone, and, and a guy called Adrian Holloway prayed for him, and instantly, in the middle of the meeting, that eye dramatically improved to the extent where he could suddenly turn and look at that sign, which he couldn't read above that door over there, and read it perfectly. It's breathtaking in the middle of a meeting. We know, many of you will know, will know Phil, who had for years, I think it was a heart murmur, a very, very serious heart condition, prayed for about a year ago, instantly healed. The, the, it goes on and on and on and on and on, but we just get used to it. Oh, yeah, that's great. It's brilliant, yeah. It's probably true. probably happened. This is God. He's turning up the temperature. We have to respond to this. We have to cherish these incredible healings. This is amazing. You know, Our neighbours, they want to hear a message. They do. But when they see the power of God, that's when it just goes from being a nice thing that you believe to this this confronts my Western... I can't understand this. This is beyond my little brain. I have to do something with this. Do you understand? This isn't just about pain being alleviated, although it is that, but it's also about mission to the city. Oh, how this city needs to see all of the churches ablaze with word and power. But notice, it's not just raw power. It's, look at this, it's with the Holy Spirit and full conviction. The Holy Spirit, the person of God. It isn't just a raw power. It is the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. And he brings full conviction. You see, what this is getting at here is this, is that the same extraordinary power that's needed to make a leg grow or an eye see, it is the same resurrection power that is needed to do the internal work of turning our hearts from being God-ignorers or God-haters actually into God-lovers. That's what he's getting at here. He said there's a full conviction. And you see, he uses the word here in verse 9. He says, how you turn to God, look at this word, from idols. Now, the Bible helps us by using different words to explain the human condition. And the basic point is that that humans, in their intrinsic natural state, are not friends with God anymore. That we have turned away from God. And it uses the word sin, which is old-fashioned in some ways. And we sometimes struggle to get our minds around it. Well, I'm not a sinner because I've never killed anyone or done any actions. Whereas actually, we have to understand that sin is much more subtle. For most of us, sin is more about our attitudes, which are, in light of a perfect and holy God, a huge issue. That we live our lives actually for ourselves, really with no, no uh, attention to God. But the idea of idolatry is another way of explaining the same basic issue. You see, an idol, we often think of idols and think of, Tom, what's, that's like a golden calf or something, isn't it? You know, what's an idol got to do with me? Well, it's got everything to do with us. Because an idol is anything. It's not normally a golden calf nowadays. It can be a person. It can be a position. 
It can be a philosophy or a political persuasion. It can be literally anything, a material object, a job, a position. It's anything that we find what we put our faith in to save us. Or let me put it in today's language, to put our faith in to find joy in. You see, the whole human world is looking deep down for deep joy. And actually, idols set themselves up in a million different forms and say, if you, if you put your faith and trust in me, I will give you the joy that you're looking for. That's what idols do. Idols are anything that we put our energy primarily into. They're things that we make sacrifices for. They're things that we trust in, ultimately more than God. They're things that ultimately our thought life is dominated by. And you're thinking, Tom, I I don't quite follow. Help me to understand. Well, let me give you four, which I've mentioned again and again in the last 12 months, because I think they are huge. And if you've never heard me mention idols before, and you want to go a lot deeper, uh, I preached a year ago uh, on a sermon called Exposing Idols, which I would recommend, where I go into a lot more detail. But for today's issue of joy and the exposing that idols don't ever give us the true joy that only God does. Let me just remind us. There's four idols that the American writer Dick Kais says are probably the prevalent, prominent idols of our age. And they're not what you'd expect. They're first of all, I think they're going to come up on the thing behind us. Thank you. Nice. Um, first of all, the idol of comfort or pleasure. It's the, it's the American dream. Have as much pleasure as possible. Remove any pain in life. You know, retire it 32 and just live in Bermuda and have maximum pleasure, that will bring you joy. Second major idol of the world is control. The uh, idol of control basically says if you can just control everything in your life, then you'll have deep and joyful joy. You'll be someone who experiences deep satisfaction. This idol says if you can control how people perceive you, if you can control about your week ahead, if you can control, have an, uh, have an illusion of control in your life, you will find the joy that you are wanting. Third major idol is that of power and success, i.e. that you are seen to be numero uno. You're that person who at the board games night, you don't just have a fun night, you transform it into a hyper-competitive thing because you've got to win. And often, for those of us who struggle with this idol, it comes out in the fact that we care, no matter almost what we're doing, that we have to be on top. And we have to be seen to be winning. We have to be in the power success place. Thirdly, uh, fourthly, rather, the fourth idol that is often very uh, common is that of approval. If enough people like us, then we'll have the deep joy that we are looking for. But let me ask you the question... Do any of these idols actually really give the joy that they promise? I want to say with all my heart, no. For example, if comfort or pleasure is the thing that you're most prone to, you know, do you know what ultimately emotion that leads to rather than joy? Boredom. Some of the wealthiest people in the world are some of the most bored people because they've, you know, they've got more money than they ever could want, more pleasure. You read the book of, um, of Ecclesiastes. It's a young king called Solomon. He's got everything. And actually, he's, he's had 10 trillion parties and has pursued pleasure as much as he wants. And it leads to boredom. It doesn't lead to joy. Or, for example, if control is the thing you think, if I can just control my life, then I'll have joy. It doesn't lead to joy. It actually leads to worry and sleepless nights and an uptightness. Or perhaps if it's power and success, which promises us joy, actually, do you know what? That often leads to either pride if you do win in whatever situation you're in, or anger, if you don't, because you're exposed actually as not perfect 
and the best at everything. This is one that I, I have to admit I rather resonate with. Uh, approval. Oh, I resonate with that one as well. Approval. It doesn't lead to joy. It leads actually to fear. If you're obsessed with what people think, the predominant emotion of your life will not be joy. It will be fear. What do people think? So why am I talking about this? The reason I'm talking about this is remember, the pursuit of joy first of all starts with the spirit conviction that actually idols or sin, they don't give what they promise. They are a liar. This world is full of lies. It promises it so much. And yet I guarantee you, if you pursue any of these things as your saviour, as the thing that you're living for, that your time and your energy and your money, it all goes into the pursuit of that, I guarantee you, there will come a moment where it will dawn on us, actually, this is, this is not leading me into the joy that deep down I need. And do you know what? You're thinking, Tom, this sounds rather serious. This doesn't feel very joyful. There is a joy of being convicted of sin that is just amazing. You know what it's like? Have you ever had that experience when you're ill and you don't know what's wrong with you? Anyone ever had that experience? And you go to the doctor and you talk to medical people and they try that, but no one knows. Not knowing is the worst thing about it. And when the person says to you, do you know what? It's actually this. There is a relief that comes. There's actually a strange kind of joy. Even before you talk about treatment, oh, you've diagnosed it. I realize. Now, this is what the Holy Spirit does. When he brings that wonderful conviction of sin. You see, when you're living for one of these idols or any other, you know deep down something's not quite right, that you're spiritually sick. And, and, and we need the Spirit to convict us. He's like a doctor who says, do you know what? The reason that you're always bored, the reason you're always worried or angry or full of pride or full of fear, it's because this is actually the main thing in your life. And because our Father's kind and loving and he sends his Spirit with a heart of love, it isn't to crush us, it's actually... Yes, to convict us, but to bring us a relief. He doesn't want us pursuing the wrong things, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. He wants all people to be living free from that. And so this strange truth, but it's a wonderful truth, that joy comes, first of all, by the Spirit convicting us that actually idols are joy drainers. Secondly, though, we move on. We find that there is a spirit conviction, a second one, that we see here, not just that sin and idols are joy drainers, but also that God alone is the joy giver. I love this phrase here in verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. Look at this. How you turned to God. Just turn to the person next to you, okay? Just turn. 90 degrees. There we go. Turn. Very good. There's a One of the words you'll see throughout the Bible is called repentance. It's another long word, but basically it means a turning. And when you become a Christian, it is like a dramatic turning. So if you've been pursuing these idols, whatever they might have been, when you become a Christian, first joy comes because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit doctor says, the reason you're not joyful is because you're pursuing these things. And you go, oh, thank the Lord. You've shown me. There's relief. I can see this thing in myself. So I remember just a few months ago when the Spirit convicted me, Tom, the reason that you got angry on those occasions was because that thing that you wanted to go right wasn't just a good thing, it was a God thing. You had to have it go right, and that is not a good thing. And even though there was a certain pain in the conviction as you see your own sin, there's a joy. You go, yes, you're right. But the second stage here to even greater joy is that we turn, they turned to the living and true 
God. I love that word, the living and true. It's not just that he's true and he's distant and can't do anything. Or it's not just that he's alive, but he's not very true. He's live, powerful, able to change our lives for the better. And he's true. He's wonderful. He's the one true thing in a world full of lies. That's the most amazing combination of words. He is living and he's true. He's able right today to do whatever he needs to do in us to change us, to become more like his son. He is living and he's true. We don't change ourselves. We allow God to change us. So what I'm saying is this thing about the idols thing is not the main thing. It is not primary. Primary is that our lives now as Christians are about facing the living God. It's what worship is all about. Is that everything, whether you're eating a meal, whether you're tucking your kids in at night, whether you're waking in the morning, whether you're singing a song on a Sunday, everything now is about worship. It's a life of worship. I've turned from those dead things that promise so much and are just rubbish to this amazing alive God. That's why you see me like an idiot jumping around the front because I used to live for that. For 20 years of my life, I thought Christians were nutters and just hypocrites and just all that. And then suddenly God showed me, I've been living for all of those things basically and you've turned me to you. And now I can come face to face with God. I mean, come on, that's amazing. It's a breath, that's what it is to be a Christian. It means you turn to the living God. It's mad, it's amazing. Mad in the best sense, you understand. Wonderful. It's glorious. Now this is the thing. Remember here, the second conviction in John 16, conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness. This is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. The the Spirit comes and he convicts us, yes, of sin, but also of God's righteousness. Are we convicted in the best sense? Are we convinced? Are we thoroughly, deep down assured of the righteousness of our God? Or do we kind of think he's righteous, but he's sort of forgotten me? You know, he's sort of... No, no, this truth here brings joy because in our deepness of our hearts, we are thoroughly convinced that no matter what pressure... No matter what affliction comes our way, our God is righteous and he is living. He's able to intervene and change and bring power and he's true. He's good and loving and wonderful. And you see, the, the, the issue is, is that for these guys in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, Thessalonica most Christians, when they, when most people, when they became Christians, what it meant was this. You were thrown out of your family, you were disinherited from everything that you were going to get and you were ostracized often from your community. You, you lost everything, often. It wasn't just, you know, one Sunday I became a Christian. No, no, you lost everything in much of these cultures. And so therefore, the community that they were brought into was not surprisingly, therefore, radically connected together. We've lost everything, but we've gained Christ. We've gained God. So even though these earthly things have happened, we've gained everything. This is what often they were facing. Many of them would have died because they would not be quiet about this Jesus. That he was a good man, yes, but he was also God. And so they were killed. This is affliction and pressure greater than any of us probably have ever experienced. This is breathtaking. And yet remember the words here that despite the affliction, in the affliction, there was great joy. Go figure. It's the mystery of the gospel. It's why as Christians we should be... Booming this out in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods, wherever we are. Being a Christian is not about, you know, being sad and miserable and doing the Ten Commandments. It's about enjoying joy amidst all the pressures of life that transcends understanding. That isn't reliant on us trying really hard. It's on receiving the gift of God. And this is the, the deal. If you're anything like me, when pressure comes, it can be bizarrely the time where I subtly 
people away from God. When there's things that come, I don't know whether it's just me, I, I don't think it is. I think often in the times of pressure, we can actually find ourselves going, well, Lord, I'll come, I'll come back to you when I've sorted this out. You know, when, I've, when, my, when my kids have started to, you know, calm down and I can control them again. Or when my employment situation is sorted. Or when my money worries are back on track, then I'll come back, Lord. And actually what this is saying is God's appeal to us is, no, I am the God for the pressure. I'm the God who in the moment of the eye of the hurricane, I want to be there for you. But so often it's the time where we pull ourselves away. The flesh in us wages war and we pull ourselves out of church. We pull ourselves out of the intimacy with God and we isolate ourselves and we say, Lord, I'll I'll come back to you. You know, I, I don't quite know what's happened. You know, I'll sing the songs on the Sunday, but I know that when I leave, I'm on my own again. I've got to get through this. And God says, no, no, just as it was true for them, I'm saying for you, no matter what pressure you're facing, no matter what it is, I am the God for those times more than ever. There is something that happens in us when we discover that God is for us in those moments that puts something into us that never changes. It's in those moments where we think everything else has gone wrong. We can all sing the songs, you know, we love you, Lord, whatever, when everything's right. But when everything's wrong and when we, when we lift up our hands as best as we can say, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting you. That's when our wonderful, kind father rushes in and says, you're trusting me. You know that song, Your Grace is Enough? Your grace is enough. That one. It's in those moments as you tentatively sing it, despite so much difficulty, that there is a profound, sacred, holy thing happening. Because in those moments, as we choose not to turn away from God, so now you are the only hope I have, that the Spirit can drench us and bring a joy. And it might not be a joy that is kind of you skipping around. There will be still sorrow intermingled. But there's a deep joy because knowing that you are now loved by the living God, knowing that he holds you with an indestructible power, knowing that no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever, ever, ever separate you now from him. That changes everything. But we can, in those times of pressure, we can just not even realize we're doing it. Just, I'll just, just slightly, I'll just, I'll get back to you, God when the pressure's eased a bit. And it's, we have to do the opposite. And I want to say this. It's not about a power, or it's not rather about a joy, just as an emotion. You see, there can be a danger that we want all the benefits, sometimes, of being a Christian without actually deeper intimate knowledge of the king. John Piper, American pastor, regularly asks his church this haunting question. He says, if you could go to heaven and have all the benefits of heaven, be guilt-free, pain-free, sickness-free, sorrowful, sorrow-free, but not actually have Jesus there, would you still want to go? And for many, well, yeah, that sounds, you can offer me all those things, great. Yeah, I want to be there. Actually, those things are not bad things, but as Christians, the deeper call is, are we actually growing in our intimate knowledge of the king? Do you see the difference there? Do we actually, are we those? Because the joy that I'm talking about, eternity to the living God, is not just a joy that comes that is abstract and is just like, I just received this emotion. It's actually intimately tied in with understanding more of the relationship we have with our God. The joy comes, not just, it's not a joy that's just like an emotion that's promised. 
It's actually the overflow of intimate, deeper understanding of the relationship we have with our God. And our God yearns that as Christians, we are ever increasing in knowledge of his son. He wants, he yearns for it, for a a church that is not content to kind of, no, no, I know, but what's Jesus like? Well, he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's kind of like this, isn't it? No, no, deeply understanding him. That's where the joy comes, through understanding of him. And when that happens, as we understand his character more, what he's done for us becomes all the more profound. When we understand who he is and his dignity, and his supremacy, when we then think about him dying on a cross for our sins, suddenly there is a deeper joy and profound gratefulness that we would have never had if we hadn't understood more of his character. It's a bit like if you were, you were desperately in need for a blood transfusion. You had a very unusual blood type, and there was only one other person, and you know, he was your friend. He said, you know what, I'll give you my blood. Great, kind, you'd be grateful. But now change the scenario, you've got this blood condition and, or you've got the situation, you need a blood transfusion. The only person in the world who has that blood is the president of America. You've never met him. You don't know him. But he hears about your plight and he cancels two days of world-changing meetings to get on a plane, to fly over to the UK, to be strapped up, to have his blood poured out for you. You see, it's the same act. But when you understand the character of the person, who it is who's given everything, the sense of awe, the sense of joy, just increases all the more. As we as Christians grow up, as we grow up, maturing in our understanding of who Christ is, the one as we read at the beginning, who sustains everything by the word of his power, and yet he hung on a cross. Why? Because in a mystery we can't understand, it's the Bible tells us the sin of the world was placed on him. Tom Shaw's envy, Tom Shaw's self-righteousness, Tom Shaw's pride, Tom Shaw's self-righteousness, judgmental heart. All the sins, even yet to go, were placed on him, the perfect one. Why? So that justice could be done and scandalously I could therefore receive forgiveness before God. That's the gospel. And when you understand who it is, our joy in this amazing Ruler, ten times more important, thousand times more important than any president. God himself on the cross. I tell you the joy that comes. It's a robust joy. Do You see, it's not just a sugary joy that we get when everything's good. It's a deep joy that means that when we're in those moments of huge pressure that will come, and for many of you here, you're experiencing it right now, this is what it is to turn to the living God, to have full conviction that he is for you. Full conviction that he is the only source of power and of strength. It's breathtaking. And, you know, it's, it's not even about, although I started by talking about seeing your, the things, the idols you've turned to, the more that you go deeper into God, it's just more and more and more about being lost in who he is. That's it. That's the primary thing. It's the primary thing. I'm, the spirit comes, he convicts the world of sin and his righteousness. Are you convicted? Are you convinced of his breathtaking worth? John Piper, American preacher, tells the story of many years ago. He had great pressure from people to, when he preached, and he loved to preach about who God was, um, and, he, and he hesitated about bringing lots of practical application. And people were always like, you've got to be more practical, John. Tell us how to live. Come on, give us some 10 steps about how to live. I just want to show you God. 
That's what I care about. I, I want you to apply it yourself. And once he did this extraordinary series with no application at all, for week after week after week after week, and everyone, well, many people were criticizing him, saying, do you know, this is just impractical. And one week, I think about a month in, a couple came up to him and they said, John, uh, a few months ago, we lost our child. Uh, I think it was a son, a young son died from an illness. And we have staggered our way to church. And just hearing you paint this picture of who God is, of his righteousness. The spirit has come every time. We can, we're coming and drenching us actually with an extraordinary deep sense of joy in God. It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't mean I start skipping around, pretending everything's fine. But it means amidst the pressure that there is a joy. John 16 tells us that when the spirit comes, we become smaller. He convicts us of sin, but God becomes bigger. Do you see that? There's a gap. There's a gap that has to be there. When joy is not in our life, I tell you every time why. The gap has got too small. We've become too big. God's become too small. I guarantee it. Every time in one form. But the more that we go on, the more we see God's worth and his splendor, the more we can't help but see actually, and I'm accepted before him. I can see so much more of my, my weakness. And yet you accept me. The bigger the gap, the more the joy. Thirdly, though, to finish, there is a spirit of conviction that comes that Christ's return will signal the entrance of joy eternal. First conviction, that sin and idols are joy drainers. Secondly, that God is the only joy giver. But thirdly, that Christ is going to return and then there will be joy forever. Say forever. Forever. Literally forever. It says here in the final verse, to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. These men and women, something had happened. A third aspect of this conviction. John 16 said, remember, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And you see, we think of judgment only negative, but it's not only negative, actually. Judgment is a neutral word. When you think about the evil in this world, when I watch the news and I see the Af- Africa and other parts of the world where there is brutal evil, I long for justice. When I hear in this country about people who beat their kids, when I think about people getting off scot-free, something in me goes, God, please don't let this happen. Let justice be done. And this is saying that there will come a day, a glorious day, when actually every injustice, every injustice will be meted for. God will, as the great judge, he will judge perfectly. He will judge the world. Look at this phrase. He will to wait for his son from heaven. You see, there's something in Christians that when you become a Christian and you get drenched in the spirit, there is a conviction that starts to build and should be building throughout our lives that Jesus Christ is going to return. That Jesus Christ is actually, literally going to come back to earth. And the Bible tells us, we've got long time to look at it today, can return in a way, let's put it this way, that everyone knows about. That no one is, did you hear? No, no, every eye will see, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow at the glorious reappearing of Jesus. And suddenly, everyone will know that this faith that Christians have been going on about actually is the truth. And it's something that the early church lived with and we don't live with. Do you know why? Often because we hear 
in different countries often about crazy perversions of it, where people just, they twist the basic truth and make it this over-the-top thing where we're going to predict when Jesus is going to come back. And so we go, whoa, that's all a bit wacky. We'll just completely forget about this part of Christianity. But Paul here was saying, don't do that. This third aspect of, the, of this conviction of the Spirit brings joy when you realize that no matter what you're going through, there's going to come a day when Jesus will come back. And it will be an amazing day. He will come back and every eye will see. There's a waiting for the sun to appear from heaven that should fill our hearts with joy. Should fill our hearts with joy. It's amazing. In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, do you know what the first message that's preached? When Peter stands up, the Spirit leads him to quote from a, a, a book called Joel. And it starts with these words, In the last days. Peter realised Oh my goodness, the last days have begun. It's not just going to roll on forever. It's that we are in these last few moments of history before Jesus Christ returns, judges the living and the dead, and actually starts a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth, the Bible tells us. Where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sleepless nights, no more illness, no nothing that sin has caused. It's an amazing thing. And he, he knew that and he proclaimed it. And there was an urgency, so thousands got saved. And today, I want us to feel that same urgency. If you don't know Christ, let me encourage you. The same urgency is here now. He will return. He will judge this world. And today, you have a breathtaking chance to get right with him. And it's very simple. You turn away from the idols of your heart. You turn to the living God in faith. And you say, I trust in your work at the cross. And I promise you, it is the entrance into true and everlasting joy. You will have pressures. You will have difficulties. But amidst it, there is a deep joy that transcends understanding. And it's breathtaking. And it's topped when you know that Christ is going to return. So that in your lowest moment, you go, do you know what? This is not going to go on forever. Either I'm going to die and be in glory with you, or you're going to return. Either way, I get to be with Jesus. It's amazing. It's an incredible part. It's why you see, Paul, when you read Paul, he seems like this. The Apostle Paul, for example, 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about being single with joy. Why? He's saying, he's just, I wish everyone was like me. I wish everyone was single. And everyone's a single person thinking, really? I don't really understand that. And he's like, no, because, you know... This life is momentary. Either Jesus is going to return or I'm going to, be, I'm going to die and be with him. This is just a brief moment. So actually, even a human relationship, it can be good. It can be a huge headache. But Jesus' relationship, he's 10,000 times greater. And I'm living, I'm shaping this life now with my view of the world to come shaping it. Yeah? So for example, in 1 Corinthians 6. There's all these disputes happening in the church. And Paul says, don't get bogged down with trying to, you know, um, uh, what's the word? Protect your name and your reputation. Don't you understand? You're going to judge angels. He interprets a practical division issue with saying, yes, but the world to come is like this. All the time, Paul was living, interpreting this life with a huge, deep conviction of the world to come. Let me encourage us. Let, us, let me challenge you. Do we have that in our souls? Because it changes everything. When you realise this is true, that it changes how we view the tensions and the pressures of this world. John 5 says these extraordinary words. It says there's going to come a day when Jesus, it says the voice of Jesus an hour is coming when one who is, it says, sorry, one, an hour is coming, let me just read it. When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, that's Jesus' voice, and come out. There's a day coming 
when Jesus Christ will return and his voice, the power of his voice will raise everyone who has ever died out of their tombs. Marilyn Monroe will be raised out of her tomb and face the living God. JFK will be raised out of a tomb and will face the living God. Michael Jackson will be raised out of a This is true. John 5, read it. The voice of Jesus' voice will sound out and everyone will face him. This has to fill our minds, people. This has to fill us. This is the most practical and the most theological truth. It changes how we view this life. It fills us with joy. It means that even when we are facing difficulties, we know that the one that we worship, he's in control of everything. He is the one who is above all things. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. He is the supreme ruler. And he is the one who is promised one day to bring all the pain and the difficulties of this world to end. And he's promised that in those moments of pressure, those moments of pressure right now, that as you just turn to him in faith and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, let me live in the good of this. How do we live like Paul? How do we live like Jesus with huge pressure and yet great joy? By the Spirit. By the drenching of the person of the Spirit. Who wants to be drenched here this morning? Any, any takers? Should we stand? We're not going to have any music for the moment. I just want us just to stand before him. We've got a good 10 minutes, okay, before parents have to get kids. So just relax. It's okay. Let's just maybe close our eyes. I don't want us to miss... We've heard lots of truth, stuffed us with truth. It's good, but we need our hearts to just even now melt. And even now, we just stand in his presence. There's many of you here, and you've just, you've just got here. You've just made it. And there's things in your life that, just big things. Some of you, it's, it's financial issues. Some of you, it's unemployment or potential unemployment. Some of you, it's kids. Difficult kids that you love, but they're just in a difficult place, young or older. For some of you, it's your marriage. Perhaps you have a, a, a partner who isn't a Christian and doesn't quite understand your values. Perhaps you are both Christians, but there's just been a real pressure. Ugh, pressure. Some of you, it's, you're about to become parents and there's a pressure. You want to do it, but there's a real pressure. Some of you, it's in your workplace, maybe with your peers or maybe even with your boss. And there's a pressure. They hate your faith. They hate the fact that you're different. For some of you, it's, it's illness. Maybe not even in yourself, but friends you know. And you, it is so hard. And even now, I just believe the beautiful Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, just wants to move amongst us right now. You just right now, you just connect with God. If you're a Christian here today, you know you don't need anyone to inter- intercede before you. you don't need, you're right now before him. You don't need an, a priest. God is here. Come now, Holy Spirit. Breath of God. Oh, come now, right now. I ask it. Wonderful Spirit of God. Some of you feel like that grape, feel the pressure right now that just the oil of his presence 
just being poured into your hearts. Standing before your living king. Just drink from him. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Wonderful God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. More of you, Holy Spirit. More of you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. It's the shepherd like no other shepherd. Don't be scared. Just let him come close right now. Thank you, Lord. Father, pour out your beautiful Holy Spirit all across this room. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just for some of you now, it's just, you know, you just need to turn back to him very gently, very, very subtly. For some of you, actually, maybe you'd say, I'm not sure I'm actually a believer, but I want to be. And even right now, you can in an instant turn. It isn't about special words. It is about an act of faith. And even now, as we just all just stand before God, if you just want to right now turn to God and become a Christian, I just want to encourage you just now, you just... You might just want to signal, just pop your hand in the air so I can see and would love to talk afterwards. I just want to encourage you right now to be bold and just to turn to him in your heart. Just say, Lord, I want to trust in you. I don't want to try and find joy and satisfaction elsewhere. I know that offends you. I want to be right with you. Come now, Lord, come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Wonderful God. If that is you, I'd love, to, I'd love to chat with you at the end. Do come forward. Just keep receiving. It's good to be silent before the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to break bread now. So please, you can just stay, stay standing. You don't have to do this. This is, the Bible's clear, this is for Christians. So I encourage you, if you're not a Christian yet, just to perhaps just to stay where you are. But we don't have to do this every week. This isn't a religious thing we do. Just if you want to do it, if you're a Christian, it, it enables us. And, and even as we break bread, as the bread physically enters us, it reminds us that God is in us, reminds us that he's right there with us amidst the pressure. And as we drink the, the wine or the juice, it reminds us the power that has been demonstrated through his blood being shed. reminds us his power to defeat even death. It is power here today. So let's, if you want to break bread and drink wine, just come forward right now, just to encourage you. Otherwise, let's just keep receiving from God. God's here. We do have a, a wonderful ministry team who are t- red t-shirted. And I want to encourage you right now. If you want to... Uh, have particular prayer for this. I think there may be many here. After you've broken bread, after you've drunk wine, why don't you just make use of those wonderful prayer team we have in our red t-shirts. We're a family. We're not trying to pretend to be all sorted. I'd encourage you just to come straight up to our prayer team in the red t-shirts. If you know that today you need to experience more of God's joy amidst the pressure... And uh, maybe uh, 
Ollie, you could just gently lead us in a song, just maybe just your own guitar when you finish. Let's just keep being before our God. He's so wonderful. You got a word? Yeah. Just got uh, um, another word of encouragement from uh, Mike, one of the members of the church. I feel God say, you know, we've been talking for weeks about being drenched in the spirit. I believe God will say, I want to drench you because you're in a land of drought. You know, when you're in a land of drought, the things you want, the thing you want most is water. And you know, we live in a place where there's, you know, there's not much water of the Holy Spirit around us. And God will say, I want to drench you. And this, I've just got this scripture here. This is 2 Corinthians sort of 3, 9 to 10. It says, where the spirit is, there's freedom. I believe God wants to drench us to bring freedom to us and others. And also, verse 10, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. So I believe there's two things here. God, God wants to free you and free people through you and transform you more into his likeness to do that because... That transformation comes from the Holy Spirit, but it's not going to happen unless you're drenched. I think I just want to give you one final encouragement. A man in a land of sort of drought, in a desert, if he's faced with a river, doesn't walk up to it slowly, sort of get a little bit and trickle it over his head. He runs up and dives in. So you're in a land of drought. The Spirit is abundantly available for you. Don't walk up to it slowly.